0: Scriptures tonight that um, I went through recently at Woodcroft about irreplaceable things. I'll get you to turn to Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. We had an incident about a month ago that um, got me thinking along these lines. We where we thought the house might burn down. Um, it's nothing, nothing happened. There's nothing to worry about. There, it was all good in the end. But has anyone else been in that situation before? No. It's yeah. You probably think about it sometimes as you make your make your plans, but um, Um, Yeah, thankfully nothing bad happened and um, we don't need to sort of lay any blame as to or talk about that in any detail any further but um, safe to say I've learned my lesson and uh, that even if you get a massive delivery of groceries and you're looking for lots of bench space to put it all on the top of the toaster isn't a good place to put it but um, anyway I don't need to say any more about that Um, but when this happens, so we, we had sort of um, smoke coming down from the ceiling and we couldn't work out where it was coming from. Um, you sort of go into this thing and, and maybe you've run through it. You might have a vague idea in the back of your mind what you would grab in that situation. If, you, if your house is going to go up in flames, I didn't know if the roof was on fire or what was going on, um, but if you've got two minutes to get out of the house, what are you going to grab? Can it, Does anyone want to um, volunteer some things that they might grab? Kathy? Birth certificate and passport. That's very practical. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Mobile phone? Yeah. Pass the mark? I can't see through this bright light. <laughs> Family? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've only got two arms, but, yeah, grab as many as you can. <laughs> yeah. Any Anything else? Leftover dinner? Yeah, okay. <laughs> what, it, what it got me thinking, though, is... Um, a bit about you know some things are irreplaceable, and other you know and and for no amount of money can you replace them. And other things, if you've got insurance, it'll take care of it. You know you get something back in exactly the same condition, or maybe better. You get put in that decision. You've got to make some tough calls. Let's let's read these um, verses here in Ezekiel chapter thirty-seven. We'll come back to that thought at the end. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out to the, uh, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones. I just want you to try and put yourself in the place of the prophet here and just really imagine that the Lord is showing this to you. He caused me to pass by them round about, and behold, there were, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. And again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above, And there was, but there was no breath in them. And, and then he said unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say unto the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried, and our hope is lost, and we are cut off for our parts." Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. It's a very strange story, isn't it? A, a, an incredible theme that was shown to Ezekiel here. And it's a really clear message that I want to look at tonight about God being a restorer, that it's a massive part of his identity and his message. And I love how Ezekiel said here when he was asked the question, can these bones live? O Lord God, thou knowest. That, you know... Um, maybe I'll come back to that, but you know this this is kind of this um, story that is put to us here is an extreme case it's not we're not just talking about people who are dead it's and it's not just skeletons it says very dry bones you know it's it's an extreme case and hope in this situation, if you like, was lost not recently but a very long time ago and um and this, oh Lord God thou knowest. Is really a glimpse of Ezekiel's self-awareness here that he knew, he recognised that his own his own understanding was flawed in this. You know, he knew that the Lord was going to show him something where his own reasoning wouldn't count for much. And um, I guess it's probably pretty guaranteed that you can think of something in your life um, that you might have lost that can't be restored. And there's probably a whole. Um, spectrum of 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 different types and and severities of loss, um, but you know, maybe there there are things that are big, you know, and and maybe particularly in the world, in the natural sense, people can never imagine feeling better about, and uh, in our own natural selves, that can be the case as well. But what this story is telling us is that God wants us to know that that's wrong, that hope doesn't have to be lost and that and that this theme of restoration is woven through this whole book and it's and it's completely integral in many ways and we're going to talk about a few of them and it's one of his clearest messages to us there's this pattern where mankind makes a mistake god makes a way for restoration again and again and again and um it's on all levels it's it's on personal levels it's on national levels and even in in god's systems just give you a few examples you know if we think at the very start in the garden of eden immediately after the first mistakes were made the plan was set in motion to bring mankind back to a relationship with god that god scanned the earth for a righteous man it wasn't long before noah was there and um and he's going, to, and God works with Noah, and 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 he gets to see how many people the Lord could save out of the mess that the world was in. And most people didn't listen, and so he's scanning, scanning again, and he finds Abram. And you know, as far as a long-term restorative plan goes, you know, what starts with Abraham is about as big as you can get. <laughs> that you know, the promise of Abraham was. I will make of you a great nation, and in you will all the families of the earth be blessed. If you don't know what that's about, <laughs> you've got to spend spare 10 hours. We can go through it sometime. We'd love to tell you about it. But that is an incredible story, and that that is a plan that God set in motion. As mankind makes their mistakes, he always had a way to bring it back. So that's just a few personal examples right at the start. But even as a nation then, when Israel lost their way many times, God was always looking for a way to bring them back. And even when they were overthrown and, and taken captive by massive empires, God had a plan for the road back. And, and we know, you know, even in Bible prophecy, again, there's ultimate plans to reassemble and restore the nation. We talk about systems, you know, in his laws. Jerusalem was the core of that in the Bible. And, and throughout history, I looked it up, the city's been destroyed, completely destroyed at least two times, attacked 52 times, besieged 23 times, and recaptured 44 times. <laughs> That's a pretty checkered history. And, and, the, and the temple itself was destroyed and restored and pillaged and restored. You know, a few times before he revealed his plan to place the Holy Spirit in a completely new type of temple, one that couldn't be destroyed that uh, that he would put the Holy Spirit in human temples and, and in ways that could have never been expected to be part of his plan. Let's go to Luke chapter 4. In verse 18, this is Jesus now speaking a similar message. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. That's um, that's a great message. <laughs> and maybe at different times in our life we might have found ourselves in one of those categories in need of God's intervention. And um, that acceptable year of the Lord is talking about the year of Jubilee. And in the Old Testament law, it was a one in every 50-year event I was just thinking about that in, in, in their lifetime in fighting wars and disease and, and maybe shorter ages at different times, you could possibly live your whole life without even seeing one of those 50-year events. And, um, and maybe if you were lucky and you live to a ripe old age, you, you, might see, you might see a couple. But this was a time where, once again, this part of the Lord's identity was really shown in that all oh, debts were erased the slaves were freed and, and, and land was returned to its original owners. You, don't, you just don't get a more restorative idea than that. that um, and, and it really ties into everything else that we've already looked at tonight. So Proverbs chapter 13, just want to read uh, one verse here in verse 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire cometh, when the desire cometh, it is a tree of life. The Lord understands why we lose hope sometimes in, in situations that we face. And and I think he, he doesn't want us to feel misunderstood in that. You know, he, he exists on a different plane to us, but he, he knows our frame. He, he, he knows that, that we're but dust. And uh, he gets it. But what he's saying is we don't actually have to feel that way. He understands it, but we don't have to feel that way. What he wants of us is to not look at ourselves, but to look at who he is and remind ourselves what he is capable of and just it's It's hard not to think about Jesus' intervention in people's lives that um in times where they may have really struggled to in, in losing hope, um just thinking of all the sort of the little interactions that we get snippets of in in the gospels of the of the woman at the well. Um, of the, of the boy that had been demon possessed and, and, and thrown himself into the fire since he was young, of the woman caught in adultery, um, of the blind man calling out Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. We don't know the backstories of all these people, but it's pretty easy to see that they would have lost hope in the natural sense in their lives. And, and these moments where Jesus was there and turned everything around in an instant. That is his message. That was his message to them, and that's his message to us. It yeah. It it just only took that moment, these these small moments for Jesus to completely change the trajectory of their lives. Let's go to Psalm chapter thirty-one, in verse twenty-two. Here it says, "For I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes." That idea, that that um, you know that our hope is lost. In something that we're facing, it's a hasty thought, as David recognized here. It's it's incorrect. Nevertheless thou heard the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. I love I love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Just thinking about why we stop hoping. It's only when our own understanding Tells us to. It's our own understanding that defines a situation as hopeless, and 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 when our solution is uh, to work it out ourselves. You know, I was thinking, you know, because I was looking at um, the chemistry of uh, feelings. I'm no expert on this, but um, there's these. I, I don't know why it helped me, but. Sometimes I feel like, you know, our, our our own consciousness and our emotions and our feelings, it feels like such a big and strong thing, but it helps me to get perspective on it. Maybe it won't help you. But to see it as biological, that, you know, you look at this these neurotransmitters, you've probably heard of like adrenaline and dopamine and serotonin and endorphins, and it's just well, everything we think and are is all just bound up in this lump of meat in our head with these um, neurotransmitters firing off. And um, I don't know, for me, it just gave me a bit of perspective on it to think, you know, God made all of that. (laughs) Things can feel too big to us. Things can feel too hard to us. But instead of trying to work it out ourselves, because we're not that good at mastering our feelings sometimes, what if we left it to the one who literally designed our feelings work? Isn't that an incredible thought that he designed? How our feelings work um, you know god 's best answers are often found in simplicity, and we can we can think a lot of complicated thoughts, but in simplicity and submission to god's ways, we save ourselves from pouring a whole lot of effort into thinking complicated things through you know there's heavy phrases that are thrown around and they're just thinking about you know um the way that hope is lost in the world, there's heavy phrases that are thrown around like irreparable damage and um, irreconcilable differences with regards to relationships. And maybe sometimes that's true in the natural sense without God. But we should never believe that that applies to us. It's, it's unscriptural, you know, we don't have to take that on board personally. There is no such thing that the whole message of this book is there's no such thing as irreparable damage, that, that it goes exactly against what God is trying to tell us about himself. At what point do we, do we think that we can get to decide that God's not going to answer? You know, that's, I was thinking that's quite a bold statement coming from an ant, you know. I'm Imagine one of those little cartoons where there's a little ant squeaking up at the foot <laughs> and uh, all you can hear is this little voice. You know, it's us. It's like us saying, listen here, God, creator of everything. I've applied my feelings to this situation and um, I don't need you to explain it to me because I've already worked it out. It's hopeless. I've lost something that's irreplaceable and that's just the way it is. it is. It's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? <laughs> That, and, and there's so many examples we could go to of of Job and Joseph and the prodigal son. And if you think through their stories, these are people who knew the depths of despair and then God's amazing grace at the end of that. Let's go to um, Luke chapter 15. We joined a um, Geelong Zoom meeting, I think it was last week, and Pastor Peter Moore was visiting. He spoke about some really similar things to this stuff that I'd already written down here, and I, he made this an amazing analogy that I can't help but share as well um, with this parable here in Luke 15, and in verse 8. Um, it's And what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that re- repenteth. And he just broke down this, this story, this parable and, and to look at what it means for us. And, and, and sometimes we can feel like we may have lost some of our joy or our hope or our faith purpose. Love, clarity, zeal, closeness. He listed off all these things that we can feel like we've lost. But the point that he made was, where was the coin? It was still in the house. And she diligently sought for it. It was always in the house. And so the feeling that those things can be lost, it's just that. It's just a feeling. And that um the fact is, If we value it and bring light into the house and diligently and thoroughly search for it, that means something to God. That, you know, in verse 10, all heaven rejoices when we place value in and diligently seek the Lord for something we might have lost. Anyway, that was just too good not to add in here. Um, I just want to finish off. Now that we've sort of spent some time examining, probably just scratching the surface. of of this part of God's nature, his, his deep desire for and his unparalleled capability to restore. I want to finish by thinking, returning to thinking about the question from the start. When the house is on fire, what's going to be lost? What things are actually irreplaceable when spiritual disaster strikes? maybe when the things that we treasure most are are impacted or threatened, our relationships, our safety, our trust, our hopes, our health. Sometimes maybe we can smell the smoke and, and we can see the fire coming and we can go into this survival mode where we think it's our job to desperately fight for all the things that we think are irreplaceable. This whole event at home just got me thinking about insurance for obvious reasons, (laughs) and I realized that spiritually God is covering us with one of the most incredibly generous insurance policies ever written. Come what may, our souls are safe if we've done what God's required of us in that department. And then all of the other stuff that we can fear for, all the stuff that's external to our souls, it's, it's also covered because this consistent and powerful message is that nothing is ever lost or broken so badly that he can't restore it. It's kind of his thing. <laughs> and and, the, and and like we've talked about, the Bible, the Bible overflows with this message, and he wants us to live with that level of confidence in him. It doesn't always come easily to us. We need to use the Holy Spirit for that. I was thinking about how we pay for this insurance policy. God's currency is trust. And it's not asking a lot, really, to trust in the one who's capable of everything that we're not. I want to quote one last verse from another version. You can look it up in in, uh, the King James. It's Romans 15, verse 13. In this version it says, I pray that God, the source of hope, I just love that. God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace. Why? Because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So when our spiritual emergency comes, there's no need for us to fear loss. We're already carrying around everything we need inside of us. And we'll definitely lose some things along the way. Our natural heart can can break sometimes over situations and problems. But who better than the one who designed how we feel to trust with bringing us through whatever comes? The one who designed how we feel. God loves to restore those who trust in him and he specializes in it. His plan for us is, is everlasting and, and off the charts in ways that we can't comprehend. And all the people said,